Let's do a quick survey this morning, just so we're kind of all going down the same path. If you had a choice, would you rather sleep on the Tempur-Pedic, adjust to everybody's body bed, or the floor? Your choice. Which one? Tempur-Pedic? Okay. What about if you had the choice between your slippers and you go to Holland and you have to wear those? Which, uh, you're picking probably slippers? Yeah? Slippers? Okay. What about sweatsuit or business suit? Although neither guy looks very happy. But, uh, okay, let's think about the weekend. All right, you got a weekend to spend. Would you rather spend your weekend digging up your septic tank? I'm pretty sure that's not septic tank, just so you know. I, I want you to know. Or, oh, that was too fast. Or a spa weekend. Which would you choose? Spa. Okay, all right, so. The point is this, those are pretty easy, I know it's kind of easy, but our society places an incredible high value on comfort. I mean, we have industry around comfort. You have uh, sleep number beds, and you have lazy boys in your living room. You have stuff that provides you with comfort. You have fast food restaurants, so you don't have to work to cook, that sort of thing. You have running water in your home, which is a great comfort. Three weeks ago, um, I put a nail through a, a water line. I'd actually done that you know, nine months ago, but it finally sprung a leak. If you've had a leak in your house and you have to turn the water off, have you noticed how uncomfortable it is to not have running water in your home? Elise said to me, it's just like Little House on the Prairie, and it was. It was tough. For like ten minutes, we had the water shut off, and it was horrible because... You had to, I mean, what do you, do you, it's horrible to not have running water, especially when you're used to it. We live in a very comfort-driven society. We even watch shows, like, have you seen the show Dirty Jobs? Why do we watch that? Because we would like to think, as bad as my job is, at least I'm not that. I'm not doing that. I, I can make money that's not that. And so we... We sit in our comfortable little chairs and we watch this show based on jobs that we never want to have because we like comfort. Now, here's the problem. Our world is very comfortable. Uh, well, not our world isn't. Our, our society is very comfortable. Our nation is very comfortable. And, and the problem becomes when we start to allow that to creep into our spiritual lives. We, we start to want to be comfortable spiritually. And so we have air-conditioned buildings or heated buildings, and we have padded seats, and we have our Bibles on our phones. We don't even have to carry a real thing anymore because we can have it right at our fingertips. And none of those things are particularly wrong. It's just if we're not careful, and this is a little bit of a heavy topic today, if we're not careful, what we'll end up doing is we'll have a faith that's soft, kind of fluffy. And the problem is, Jesus really doesn't give us that option. Uh, and look at what he says here. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And there's really not much fluffy about taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following Christ. And so now we have this sort of, um, th this inner struggle I'm constantly told I need to be comfortable. I live in a society where comfort is king. And yet Christ says to me, 
you have to deny yourself. And self-denial isn't comfortable. And you have to take up your cross, and that's not comfortable. And so you've got this struggle. And Christ says, if you're going to follow me, you give up comforts, and you follow. It's interesting. Let, Let me make the point one more time. There's a health and fitness section in the Wall Street Journal, and they looked at this study done by Harvard about uh, students, or actually just people, and how often they talk about themselves. 40% of conversations, uh, both personal and online, that would include Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and that sort of thing, over 40% of conversations deal with how I feel about something, my opinion about something, um, whatever I feel. And so in this survey, they, they offered people money to talk about somebody else. And 25% of the time, people turn down money to continue talking about themselves. We, we live in a society that is very self-centered. We, we think about us. And, and the problem with that is, we're a nation of pain avoiders. We're a nation of people who don't like to be uncomfortable. And, yes, and yet the cross is incredibly uncomfortable. So let's talk about the cross today, just a bit. So if you have your outlines, you might want to open them up. The cross is a tough sell, especially in our society. When Jesus says, take up your cross, it is a really, really tough sell. I mean, it's hard to, to, to sell that. And I don't know who's in charge of PR in heaven, but taking up a cross, that's really bad PR. If you're trying to get people on your side, you're going to try to make it less difficult. You're going to try to make it more pleasing. Taking up your cross and denying yourself when you live in a society where that isn't your thing, that's a tough sell. Now, here's what we do with it. Fans, and we're in this series called Fan or Follower. Are you a fan or are you a follower? And we make the distinction that there are people who are fans of Jesus. They kind of like his vibe. They just don't want to sacrifice for him. Followers are willing to do whatever he says. So fans take the cross and they, they make it comfortable. They, they found this sort of way. And, and so you'll hear, this is the sentence they use all the time. It's just my cross to bear. So you'll hear it like this. You know, I went to Starbucks and um, I ordered a mocha latte, chai, iced, mocha, jamocha, fluffy, whipped cream, uh, pumpkin spice latte. And it had too much pumpkin spice. But it's just my cross to bear. Uh, it's just my cross to bear. Or, or you'll hear something like, you'll, you'll, uh, it'll be something like, um, I went to my parents' house and the internet is so slow. I mean, we only had 12 devices on and it was just bogging down. But it's just, it's just, it's just your cross to bear. It's just your cross. You're driving to work. I caught every red light. It's just my cross. It is just my cross. So we... We make little stupid stuff that really isn't a cross. We make it into a cross. And that's what fa- fans kind of like the whole notion of. It's just my cross to bear. It's just really not our cross. Uh, getting a wrong latte isn't a cross. And not having the internet fast enough, not a cross. And, and, and yet we, we sort of use that 
language because it, at least we're kind of being biblical a little bit. And, and we will say things like, okay, we can't, make the, we can't make the gospel too difficult because our ambition is to reach people. Our, our job as a church is to reach more and more people. And so why don't we make it less difficult to follow Jesus if we do that, if we package it right, then more people want to follow. Now, packaging it right, correctly, would at least logically seem to be, all right, let's make it easier. Because if we make it really hard, like Jesus made it really hard, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, that's really not easy. And he didn't make it easy. So we sort of kind of make it easy. Now, um, if you're in a small group, I'm excited for you, and I think we're about halfway through, and uh, we're look, looking at a guy, um, his name's Kyle Eidelman, he's the teaching pastor at Southeast Christian in Louisville, and we're kind of watching a, a movie sort of based on his, his teaching and his book, and I have a video of him kind of talking about how we as church people, as pastors even, sort of make it maybe too easy. I hope that's our next slide. Yeah, there we go. Sometimes in an effort to get as many people as possible to follow Jesus, I have, with good intentions, made following Him sound as attractive, as appealing as possible. And so I've talked a lot about the unconditional joy, the peace that passes understanding, the grace and mercy that frees us from all of our guilt and shame. Those things are true and they are beautiful and they should be spoken of often. But I've realized that I have been guilty of selling Jesus. I've emphasizing only the parts about Jesus that I thought people would like. Imagine it this way. Imagine if my oldest daughter grows up and goes to college and after a number of years isn't married, but she really wants to be. And so I decide to help the process along. And I take out an ad in the newspaper and I put up a billboard sign and print up t-shirts begging someone to come and choose her. Wouldn't that cheapen who she is? Wouldn't that make it seem like they were doing her a favor? I would never do that. If you want to come and get to know her, you better come with everything you've got. Or I'll send you packing. Paul puts it this way. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. There are people, look, none of us want to be perceived as being unintelligent or as being um, backward. Well, I don't like that. I don't like somebody thinking I'm not smart. I don't like people thinking that I, you know, uh, am unthoughtful. 
And yet, uh, more and more our, uh, our world sort of begins to tell us that if, if you follow Christ, then it's just foolish. And in the first century, when Jesus said, take up your cross, understand, there was nobody that wanted to take up a cross. See, see we, we've lost the whole impact of that. The, the symbol of the cross is less powerful today because we don't use it to execute people. I mean, we've kind of made it decorative, and, and you can go anywhere pretty much that sells home decor, and you can buy crosses to put on your walls. We have them at my house, and, and we've made it less powerful. But in the first century, if they came into your home and they saw a cross hanging on the wall, they would think you were one sick puppy. Why would you have a cross on your wall? That would be like us going into someone's home and they have a noose hanging from the ceiling. We would think you're a weirdo. And you know what? We would be right. If you had a guillotine hang, uh, uh, sitting in the, uh, you know, uh, a corner, it's like, uh, I need to like, go home. Uh, I forgot. I left the stove on. I mean, wouldn't you get out of there as fast as you could? If you came into somebody's house and they had a mini electric chair, what would you do? I'd get out. I mean, I, I'm not staying. So we've sort of, we've whitewashed the cross and made it nice and pretty. And, and yet when Jesus said it, pe- people understood it was, you, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he was saying, You die to yourself and you follow. It's a relationship. It's not about rules. Not about rules. You choose to live for Christ. And and it it was impactful when Jesus said it. The truth of the cross is God turned the foolishness of the cross into the power of salvation. Here's what's incredible about God. This symbol, the cross in and of itself has no glory and no honor. In fact, anyone who hung on the cross was reviled. In the first century when Jesus said it, everybody knew that, man, if you died at the cross, on the cross, then it was the worst possible way to die. It was brutal and it was torturous and it was horrible and nobody would choose it for themselves. But look at what it says here. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And I think if Paul were writing to our society today, he might not say um, the Jews are demanding signs, but he might say some of you want miracles, you you want to... um, Harry Potterize the Bible and make it about something mystical and something magical. And others of you just want the knowledge. You want to know about God, but you really don't want God. But mostly you just want to feel good. And then he would write, but the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. We live in a society where today... We're very sensitive to words. And the truth of the matter is, the gospel is offensive. (laughs) To say, take up your cross, deny yourself, in a world where people don't want to deny themselves, 
and everything is okay, and I want you to make me feel good, and if you don't make me feel good, then you're bullying me. I mean, it's kind of dangerous, frankly. Because what do you do with the cross? What do you do with deny yourself? We, we Deny yourself in a, if it feels good, do it world is kind of clashy. <laughs> Those things don't go very well together. See, the cross... Here's what's crazy about it. What what seems like this ultimate moment of God's weakness was in reality God's ultimate moment of strength. Which brings us to the next point. If your feelings driven, cross-carrying and self-denial don't make you feel very good. It's kind of the antithesis of those sorts of things. But here's the amazing thing about the cross. He took this cross which is horrific and he made it amazing. And What God did for the cross, He can do for you. I mean, if there's a point, if there's like one point today, if there's the big point, it would be what what God did for the cross. This thing, this thing that's unhonorable, God now has made amazing. Paul says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God told the, uh, chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, it's not that God used the cross in spite of its weakness. It's as if he chose the weakest thing and used it intentionally. Let me, let me, look at, let me show you a list of who God chooses to use in Scripture. This is just a partial list. He had Abraham... And Abraham was old, and so those of us who are old, yay, God uses old people. And Jacob was insecure, and Leah was unattractive, and for those of us who are unattractive, yay. And Joseph was a slave, and Moses had a speech impediment and was a murderer. That's kind of not good. And Gideon was a wimp, and Samson was proud, and Rahab was immoral, as was David. And he was conniving. And Elijah was suicidal, and Jeremiah was depressed, and Jonah was disobedient, and Naomi was a widow, and in that age it was difficult to be a widow and have any, anything. And John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least. Anybody that eats um, locusts is one weird cat. And uh, Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered, and Martha worried a lot, and the Samaritan woman had several failed marriages and was living with a man, and Zacchaeus was unpopular, and Matthew was a tax collector, and Thomas had doubts, and Paul had poor health, and Timothy was timid. And it's almost as if God says, well, you're weak, I'll use you. You're, you're one messed up dude. I'm going to pick you. You have no reputation. I'll pick you. I mean, God's good about that. Which gives us all hope. Because those of us who are kind of in the deep weeds a little bit, we have this notion now, we have this hope that God might pick us. And He has picked us. And what God did for the cross, He can do for you. This is the most amazing thing. This is the good news. As messed up as you are, God can still use you. And He wants to. If you'll deny yourself and take up your cross. Back to 2 Corinthians. Again, Paul writes three times. Now, he, he was kind of, he had a, an ailment. 
physical ailment, most likely. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. By the way, there's this big raging debate about what this was. Some people believe it was migraine headaches. Some believe it was eyesight issues. Some think it was something else. Maybe he had uh, seizures. There's kind of this debate about what this was, this thing that he asked for healing for. And he never is healed of it, by the way. And he pleads. It's not like he says, God, if you get around to it, could you heal me? No, this is like I'm pleading to be healed. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ may rest on me. Basically, God said, you know, if you're too strong, you depend on your own strength and you don't look in, you don't lean into me, you don't look to me as much. So I'm going to say no to this request. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's kind of different. And one of the most difficult things to do is to lean into your weakness. God, I'm weak here. But, but Jesus says this is when you're made powerful. I read a really interesting article this week. A guy named Dr. Palmer Chinkin went to Zimbabwe. He was going to go on this river. It's the Zambezi River. It's the, um, the most severe whitewater experience you can have in the world. Now, in America, there are whitewater rapids, and the, they, they categorize them. So a one is sort of a trickle. You know, a two might be this much of a drop. A three is kind of bad. A four, you know, is pretty rough. Five is crazy. And I think the, the worst you can get to in America is a four or a five. I believe the Golly River in West Virginia might be the the most severe whitewater trip you can take, four or five. Uh, the, Zimbabwe, the Zimbezi River has uh, categories sevens and eights. It's like you go over waterfalls. I mean, it's just insane. And so this guy is writing about this experience, and, and he's, well, just let me read it. As I sat on the edge of my eight-person raft, all suited up in a tight, overstuffed jacket and a thick crash helmet, I felt like, uh, an overcautious tourist. The Zimbezi can't be that dangerous, can it? But then our guide said, when the raft flips, there's no if the raft flips or on and off chance the raft flips, which looks something like this. When the raft flips, you'll be tempted to swim toward the stagnant water at the edge of the bank. I'm for that, by the way. If I'm in the middle of that, I'm going toward the edge. That's, this is this. Don't do it, the guide says. Because it is in the stagnant water that the crocs wait for you. They're large and hungry. So even when the, flat, the raft flips, stay in the rough water. All right, I got to tell you. Number one, let's just point out the obvious. Stupid people. Okay, right there. Stupid people. The obvious. But if you were in the middle of this, and your guide to, or you're already suited up, right? You got the little helmet, you got the thing going on, the, the life jacket, and you're sitting there, and the guy says, hey, when we flip over, if you're not dead from the flip, you stay in the rough water, because if you go to the edge, you're going to get eaten by crocodiles. How tempted would you be when you flip over to go to the edge and think to yourself, well, 
I'm dying here anyway, so I might as well take my chances with the crocodiles. I mean, to lean into the roughness of the water would be, it's, it's anti-intuitive. It, it's, it's, it's not what you do, and yet that's what you do. And so when Paul says we lean into our weakness, because in our weakness we're made strong, it's not what we typically do. Here's what's amazing about this. What's amazing about the cross and our leaning into our weakness is that there's even purpose in our pain. Look at what it says. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. i got to tell you, I have never delighted in a weakness. Because we live in a world where weakness isn't strength. You know what strength? Strength is strength. If you're at a job interview, have you ever been in one of these, the job interview, and they'll say, what's your weakness? What are your, what are your weaknesses? You know what you don't say? Your weaknesses. You don't say stuff like, you know, I'm never on time. Hardly ever show up. I have a tendency to be sick a lot. Uh, so, you know, I eat, I eat my, uh, my co-worker's food out of the fridge. Uh, I do that. That's a, that's a weakness. Um, you know, I really don't like to be told what to do. Uh, I don't like that. I don't exactly know how to turn a computer on. Is that a problem? I mean, you know... Um, what do you not say? You don't say a weakness. You know what you say? You say a strength that looks like a weakness. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I just don't know when to go home sometimes. If you're a preacher, you know what you say? Uh, I never know when to quit praying. I, I just pray a lot. I, I'm all about the prayer. Because in our society, weakness isn't strength. You know what strength? Strength. Is strength. And yet, this verse tells us that when we're weak, that's when we're strong. Do you know there are 2,000 self-help books a year published in America? 2,000. You know what they... I'll save you the expense of buying them. You know what they're going to say? You can do it. Believe in yourself. You should just watch a Barbie movie. I mean, really, it's, all, it's the same message. Believe in yourself. You can do it. We live in a world where we're told that weakness is weak and to be avoided at all costs. And Paul says, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And this amazing God of ours has this ability to even redeem our pain. We live in the most pain-avoidant society I have ever seen. And yet, Paul says, I delight in my weaknesses. I heard a cute little story this week about a little boy. Look at that little guy about three years old, and he, he packed his backpack. They were on a trip, you know, he packed his backpack, and he put some books and some toys in there, and, and he wanted to show his mom and dad how strong he was. And so he would say occasionally, look how strong I am, I'm carrying my own backpack. And the dad would ask him occasionally, do you want me to carry that for you? No, I'm strong, I'm strong. Except one day, they'd been out all day, and, and they got into the hotel room, and, or hotel, and, and they had, had to park kind of far away from the hotel, so they had to walk through the parking lot, and the little boy got his backpack on, but you know, a few steps into it, 
he looks at his dad and, and he kind of just sighs and he drops the back. He doesn't say anything to his dad. He just drops the backpack at his dad's feet. Like, you know, you probably just pick that up. The dad picks it up and they're walking and, and the dad tells the story. The little boy gets, you know, about 10 more steps up the, up the parking lot and then he, another heavy sigh. And then he just reaches up for his dad. And the dad writes about this. I was happy to not only carry my son's burden. I was happy to carry my son. It's when we're weak and we admit our need that we are strongest. So really the question of the day is, am I willing to trust God enough to let my weakness be His strength? Am I willing to get rid of my need for comforts? Am I willing to not be in control? Am I willing to have glory in my weakness rather than my strength and my accomplishments and my paycheck and my trophies? And am I willing to seek God's approval over my co-workers' approval or my friends at school's approval or whoever might need our approval or the people on Facebook have to approve or Instagram or wherever you are? Because when I'm weak... When I admit my weakness, that's when I'm strongest because then I know that I can't do it on my own and I need Jesus to do it for me. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, what he is saying is, take up your weakness. Admit you're weak. Then you can follow. Because there's no greater sign of weakness in all the world than the cross. This is maybe the most important question you ever ask. Am I willing to admit my weakness? See, what keeps us from this is pride. We don't like to admit. No, nobody likes to admit they're weak. I need help. But the Bible teaches us that we have to have help. If we're going to make it into eternity with, with our Father, our Heavenly Father, if we're going to exist in this life with purpose and power, it's not because of our own strength or the abilities God gives us. It's what He does for us when we're weak. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's kind of, kind of backwards, it seems, but it's true. There's a lot of stuff in Scripture that seems backwards, but it's true. You know, Jesus said, if somebody offends you, turn the other cheek. That movie has never been made in Hollywood. If somebody offends you, what, what do you do? You offend them back. Somebody hurts you, you hurt them back, but more. This, Hollywood's made billions of dollars on that thing. You've hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back, but only more. But Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody offends you, turn the other cheek. Somebody asks you to go one mile, go two. Do more. Serve more. Do more. Sort of backward way of looking at life. It's the right way. The way God chooses for us 
to do these things, to live life. So I'm going to leave you with this question. Will you trust God enough to let your weaknesses be his strengths? Father, it's kind of tough stuff today that you've given us, and we thank you for the opportunity to look in your word and to, to learn kind of new things maybe. Or to be reminded that um, what we have to do is to lean into our weakness because when we're weak, you're strong. We love you and we thank you for inviting us into your family. Lord, help us to have a real idea of what it means to take up our cross and follow you. We pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.